All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And lift off, the final lift off of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 415, The Decade in Review. I'm John Moldix. Like I mentioned in the previous episode, for some reason I can't find the script for my top 10 space movies episode. I'm going to have to do some more digging. I really hope that that script isn't lost for forever. For now, let's get to my top 10 highlights for the 2010s. Starting off at number 10 with STS-135. The last space shuttle launch took place on July 8, 2011. The retirement of the shuttle fleet started the longest gap in human spaceflight from the United States in NASA history. This final flight was a bittersweet mission, but it was a necessary step that freed up funding for NASA on other missions. Human spaceflight is moving forward now with Commercial Crew and Orion, even though the new commercial spacecraft are going back to a capsule-based design, this will provide for safer and more frequent rides to space for NASA astronauts and international partners. The space shuttles were marvels of engineering, but ultimately they didn't live up to their original promise of rapid and affordable reuse. I grew up with the space shuttle, and it's been a fixture of my imagination since I was a little kid. Some of my earliest memories are going to watch the IMAX movie, The Dream is Alive. The shuttle helped inspire my love of space exploration and spaceflight. I wish the vehicle had been able to live up to its initial design goals, but its design was simply ahead of its time. Rapid reuse for rockets is being pursued by companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin, so I expect to see the dream of the shuttle program fulfilled, even though it's in a totally different design, over the coming decades. The shuttle Atlantis touched down at 5.57 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on July 21, 2011, officially closing the chapter on NASA's longest-serving fleet of spacecraft. Astronauts Chris Ferguson, the commander of the mission, Doug Hurley, the pilot, Rex Walheim, and Sandy Magnus were the crew of the final shuttle mission. Chris Ferguson will be flying on Boeing's Starliner capsule, hopefully before the end of the year, and Doug Hurley will be one of the crew members on a SpaceX Crew Dragon mission in the coming months. At number 9, we've got Exoplanets and Kepler. Searching for life outside our solar system is an intriguing process. Telescopes have become more capable over the past few decades. As telescopes become more capable, new worlds will come into view, which will expand our knowledge of the cosmos and our place in our galaxy. Sadly, the Kepler Space Telescope ran out of maneuvering fuel nine years into its mission, Without the fuel to steer the telescope, NASA was unable to point the spacecraft with the accuracy needed for scientific operations, so the mission ended in 2018. Kepler helped confirm over 4,000 exoplanets, and there's a list of nearly 5,000 exoplanet candidates. 
Finding worlds that orbit other stars has shown that planetary systems are the norm rather than the exception in our galaxy. The planets that Kepler has uncovered have ranged from Earth-sized worlds to massive planets bigger than Jupiter. Some of these worlds are unlike anything in our solar system. In late December of 2019, the Kepler team announced that the Hubble Space Telescope observed superpuff planets that were originally discovered by the Kepler mission in 2012. What makes these planets so interesting is that they have the masses of several Earth-sized planets, but they are so, quote, bloated that they are nearly the size of Jupiter. In other words, these planets might look as big and bulky as Jupiter, but are roughly a hundred times lighter in terms of mass. I'll be linking to that full article in the show notes. Kepler made the top 10 list because of its observations that will be studied for decades to come. Astronomers are still pouring through the data captured by this incredible spacecraft. If this latest article is any indication, we've got another decade or more of amazing planetary science ahead of us thanks to the Kepler Space Telescope. Now, number 8, Cassini at Saturn. Cassini's mission came to an end on September 15, 2017. This was one of my favorite missions, and I was sad to see Cassini go. The spacecraft brought back incredible science and images that were quite literally out of this world. The Cassini-Huygens mission launched on October 15, 1997 atop a Titan 4B Centaur rocket. This was the only time that a scientific payload launched on this type of rocket. The Cassini-Huygens mission involved 27 nations here on Earth during its lifetime. The Huygens lander was built by the European Space Agency for this mission. The Huygens lander became the first probe to touch down on a world in the outer solar system when it landed on Saturn's moon Titan on January 14, 2005. I remember being in a high school astronomy class at the time and seeing some of those images come in in the days and weeks after Huygens' landing on Titan. The Cassini spacecraft traveled over 4.9 billion miles, or 7.9 billion kilometers, collected roughly 635 gigabytes of scientific data, discovered six new moons, performed 360 engine burns for orbit adjustments, and captured over 450,000 images during its life. Congratulations to the entire team that made Cassini such a resounding success. Coming in at number 7, we've got a dragon. The first flight of the SpaceX Dragon capsule took place in December of 2010, just months before the end of the shuttle program. SpaceX was one of the participants in the COTS, or Commercial Orbital Transportation Services program, that NASA started to generate competition among launch providers for cargo flights to the International Space Station. The SpaceX Demo-1 flight for the COTS program was the second flight of the Falcon 9 rocket and the first time that SpaceX launched and recovered an actual Dragon spacecraft. The Dragon spacecraft became the first commercial spacecraft to berth at the International Space Station during its May 22, 2012 demo flight. SpaceX designed Dragon to be a reusable spacecraft that could take a significant payload to and from the International Space Station. 
Russia's Soyuz capsule doesn't have the ability to carry larger pieces of cargo back to Earth, and the Northrop Grumman Cygnus spacecraft, as well as the Japanese and European launch vehicles that go to the station, burn up in the atmosphere during re-entry. For the production of this vehicle, NASA awarded SpaceX $396 million to produce and develop the Falcon 9 rocket and Dragon spacecraft. That is an absolute bargain when compared to the roughly $1.6 billion cost of a single space shuttle flight. I think it's safe to say that the Commercial Orbital Transportation Program will go down in history as one of the most important contracts in NASA history. We're going to hear more about SpaceX later on this list. Coming in at number six, we have International Space Flight. India, the European Space Agency, China, and all of NASA's international partners have strived for greatness over the past decade. Whether it was Rosetta and Phileg, or India going to Mars, or China landing a rover on the far side of the moon, the 2010s showed the world that other agencies are capable of launching significant missions to destinations across the solar system. Here's a few highlights from foreign space agencies over the past decade. China's Chang'e 4 lander became the first spacecraft to land on the far side of the moon on January 3, 2019. The Planetary Society has a website that provides an excellent overview of the lander and the U-2 rover that was carried by this spacecraft. The European Space Agency launched the Rosetta mission on March 2, 2004. Rosetta and the Philae lander arrived at Comet 67P Churimov-Gerasimenko in August of 2014. Philae touched down on Comet 67P, or more accurately bounced off its surface, on November 12, 2014. India's Mars Orbiter Mission, or MOM, launched on November 5, 2013. NASA notes that the MOM mission, Hindi for Mars craft, is India's first mission to Mars. It's impressive that India was able to put a spacecraft in orbit of Mars on the first try. Overall, missions to the Red Planet have a success rate of about 50%. You can check out NASA's list of successful and failed Mars missions with the link I'm posting in the show notes. There were a lot of other international missions, but these three stuck out to me as the most meaningful. Speaking of meaningful missions, let's head to Mars. Coming in at number five, we have the Mars Exploration Rovers. Goodbye, Spirit and Opportunity. These intrepid little robotic explorers enabled the public to ride shotgun as NASA explored the Martian surface. Sadly, all good things must come to an end. The Martian planet finally got the best of the twin rovers that launched from Earth in 2003. Both rovers exceeded their original 90-day missions by years, which is a testament to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory's handiwork. NASA is now operating the Curiosity rover and the InSight lander on the Martian surface. The Planetary Society has a great website for these twin rovers. Check it out in the show notes. Coming in at number four, we're headed to the distant reaches of our solar system with New Horizons. 
New Horizons flyby of Pluto was the quickest climax to a mission that had been built up for years. This all-too-brief flyby of one of the most distant worlds in our solar system was significant for science and public interest. Pluto's heart captured the public's heart for months. The images that New Horizons sent back over a tantalizingly slow connection were eaten up by scientists and the general public. After flying by Pluto, New Horizons continued on into the Kuiper Belt. You can learn more about the New Horizons mission with the links in the show notes. Coming in at number three, we have commercial spaceflight and Shotwell's decade. It's been a busy decade, not just for SpaceX, but also for Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, Sierra Nevada, and others. Lowering launch costs and getting more people and cargo into space sounds like an awesome plan to me. Something needs to be done to break up the sclerotic aerospace establishment that's bloated and more expensive than upstart competitors. The coming years will be more exciting for suborbital and orbital spaceflight. SpaceX's foundation in the 2010s has set that company up to have a potentially paradigm-shifting decade in the 2020s. Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy are mature launch vehicles, which has moved SpaceX from the category of scrappy upstart underdog to an industry leader and innovator. I think we can expect a lot more magic from SpaceX's president and COO, Gwen Shotwell. While Elon Musk provides the theatrical flourishes and design expertise for SpaceX, Shotwell has helped steer the business end of the company, turning it into the powerhouse it is today. Shotwell's done an excellent job securing contracts for launches and developing the business of the Starlink Communications Satellite Constellation. Other commercial companies are going to be launching rockets in the coming years, but we've yet to see a Blue Origin orbital launch. I hope that changes soon. Coming in at number two, Falcon 9, Falcon Heavy, and the rise of reusable launch vehicles. The Falcon 9 rocket first launched in 2010 after starting development in late 2005. Throughout that decade, Falcon 9 was upgraded, moving from version 1.0 to 1.1, and then later the Block 4 and now the Block 5 variants. These different versions of the rocket added capabilities and performance not available on the original launch vehicle. SpaceX has engineered the Block 5 first stage for upgraded and enhanced performance, as well as better reusability. The second stage has a more robust engine restart capacity now, and it can operate in orbit for longer periods of time. SpaceX is coming up on its 50th successful landing of the Falcon 9 rocket, which should take place in the next week or so. Falcon 9 has had a banner decade, and also Falcon Heavy is starting to show that it can put some serious payload into orbit. The first launch of Falcon Heavy and Starman in that red Tesla Roadster is something that you'll never forget if you saw it live. And lastly, coming in at number one, and I think this one might surprise a few people, NASA's Astronaut Corps. The 2010s were a transformational decade for NASA's astronauts. 
Whether it was the first all-woman spacewalk or breaking endurance records, NASA's astronaut corps has had a very busy and very productive decade. NASA astronauts have come into their own in the age of social media. The majority of shuttle-era flights happened in the years before social media coverage. Astronauts on the International Space Station have kept, quote, ship's logs as far back as Expedition 1. The first astronaut on Twitter, NASA's Mike Massimino, at Astro underscore Mike, rocketed past a million followers when he joined the social network in 2009. More recently, in the 2010s, we've had Scott Kelly, Peggy Whitson, Chris Hadfield, Nick Haig, props on that launch abort, Christina H. Koch, Jessica Meir, and others have reached audiences around the world using Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social platforms. The pictures and stories that they share from space help give us a glimpse into the day-to-day -day life on the space station, and a look back at home from the most incredible seat in the solar system. Today, astronauts are able to document what life is like in space for the entire world to see. During the Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and early shuttle years, the access that the public had to astronauts went through more traditional and restricted channels. NASA still curates the images of astronauts, but social media gives the public a less filtered look at the people who are pushing the boundaries of human knowledge in space. As we push out to explore the moon and later Mars, NASA astronauts using social media will give the world a front row view of new sites and new scientific frontiers. The human story of pushing out into the solar system is what's really going to capture the hearts and minds of the public. Here's a few things that I'm looking forward to in the 2020s. First up, Artemis, and I'm cautiously optimistic. I'd love to see more than just a boots-on-the-ground mission to the moon. Hopefully we can establish a permanent human presence on multiple lunar bases. The next thing that I'm excited about is the rise of the Super Heavies. Starship and the Space Launch System are going to put on one hell of a show when they're flying. I'm not entirely sure which rocket's going to fly first, but it's going to be great to see both of them launch. I think eventually NASA's going to rely on commercial companies to launch big payloads into orbit. If SpaceX can prove Starship and Blue Origin can get new Armstrong flying, there really might not be a place for SLS to fly. We're going to end with two science missions that I'm looking forward to in the 2020s. The first is the James Webb Space Telescope. Even though there's no option for servicing missions, if something were to go wrong with the spacecraft and it's behind schedule and over budget, the science returns from this mission are going to be absolutely incredible. So Godspeed to the entire JWST team. And lastly, Europa Clipper. I'd love to know what's in those oceans underneath that moon. And that is it for the Decade in Review. If you've got a mission that you think should be in the top 10, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. I'd love to hear what mission you think should have made the top 10. I do have a call-in number. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, just dial 720-772-7988 and leave a message. I'm looking forward to sharing the questions that you may have with all of the listeners. As always, the links to everything we talked about today are in the show notes. 
If you're new to the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a review. Reviews in Apple Podcasts help more people find out about the show, and they help make sure it reaches as many people as possible. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.